Welcome to Audio Podcast. You have officially joined the resistance. Today I'm here with Empilo Gambule. <laughs> Tricky last name. I'm working on it. <laughs> All right. Um, so I want to turn it over to you. I want to tell a little bit about yourself. We had we did a live group cast not too long ago. Some of the viewers may have caught you on that, but for those who haven't, just tell a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing, and we'll go from there. Thank you, Eric, for having me in your platform. I am happy to be here. I still remember uh, that great energy that we had when we had our group uh, launch, and it was a great moment. Well, I am an African. Uh, I'm living in the US now. I've been here for about 15, 14 months or 15 months. Uh, I was born in a very small country called Swaziland. Now is called Eswatini. Uh, it's uh, landlocked by South Africa and Mozambique. So it's on the eastern side of Mozambique. It's the last absolute monarchy as people will analyze or will talk about it in the politics. Um, I grew up there, went to school there, even my uh, college education I did there. I, I um, did law for college education and I was admitted uh, to practice as a lawyer in Swaziland. But uh, after practicing for about six years, I came to the US of A and joined another institution here in Salt Lake. Uh, no, it's sort of like here in Utah, it's in Provo. It's called Brigham Young University, J. Ruben Clark Law School. That's where I, I, I did my master's degree in the law. So I came, ap not, not April, should, I should say August 2019, and it was for a year up until April, which is a couple of months ago. That's when I graduated. Now I am working with one esteemed law firm here in Salt Lake City downtown called Kerry McConkie Tennis. And that's what I, yeah, I'm i doing every day, going into the office, practice corporate law, uh, reviewing contracts. Uh, one of the fascinating things that I'm doing of late, which is something that I did not do before, before coming to the US in, in this firm is uh, what is called data privacy. So it's one of those hot things uh, out there uh, in, in legal practice globally. Yeah. 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 Things have definitely changed in terms of data privacy. There's a lot of been a lot of new uh, legal developments on that as well, especially like email communications, data retention. So yeah, you're going to have your hands full with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a lot. It's, it's a crazy world. You know, we've got the GDPR in, in, in Europe, and yep. it's, it's just rocking the entire world because you find yourself dealing with data, or companies find themselves dealing with data of uh, European or citizens of the union. And then you've got one crazy one in, in California, the CCP. I don't know if you've... I mean, the CCPA, I don't know if you heard about that one. And it's just making people sweat because they don't know how to comply and how to make sure that they are safe and they're not caught up in, in the middle of legal battles. Yeah. 
I don't know them all by name, but I know like California always has its own regulations and then UK and it's just, you think you're just dealing in the US, but the way we deal online with everything, you kind of have to figure out how to follow everybody's rules. So I can imagine that'd be challenging. Well, that's, I mean, that's great to hear what you're doing. Things are on track in that regard. And you mentioned, you know, our last conversation and I wish we would have had another two hours, you know, when we were, <laughs> we got into a groove there. I mean, you were, you were uh, quoting Emerson and, and just all kinds of stuff. Um, you have an amazing recall ability with these quotes. So I'm, I'm going to make the safe bet. You read a lot or you at least listen to quite a few audiobooks in order to have this stuff just kind of off the top of your head. So Ooh. who are oh, yeah. who are some of your main <clears throat> well first question is what what do you spend more time on audiobooks or actual just actual reading? Mm, I would say both. Uh, I've got a history of reading a lot. Okay. And I've read um, a lot of books in my life and I feel like I don't remember a lot <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> I feel like, oh man, this, look at this, so many books on my library. I have a library in Africa and now I've started collecting books since I've been in the US. I think I've collected about 50 books already trying to read. You know, it's difficult to, to do this private reading while you have the law and you have to study, read, write. So I do, uh, I've been doing a lot of reading for a number of years, I would say 15, 20 years, you know, one of the fascinating things, it's, it's, it's the mind and the heart I've tried to study. I'm still looking for more books that talk about these two operating systems of, 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 of um, the, the human being. I, I think if you understand the mind and the laws of thought, uh, you are home and dry, you're able to fare well in this life because it's all about, you know, the mind, even those who want to attack us today, who want to destroy us, they go and, and try and target the mind. So I do a lot of reading, but I must say also that um, I listen to audio books, but I haven't listened to them a lot since I've been here, to, to be quite honest, because, you know, I've been... <laughs> I've been very busy at school, you know, you hit the ground running and you have a lot to read. It's very stressful moments. And uh, here I have to wake up in the morning, try. I avoid, you know, doing any other activity in the morning except trying to meditate and then listen to some, for some few minutes to something spiritual, some of the spiritual uh, teachers. And you, ancient thinkers such as um, Marcus Aureli in this meditation probably might have heard of him, the great Roman emperor, and, and, yeah. and other folks like James Allen, and he, who I think is one of my favorite writers of the past hundred years. I think that's a good practice because I'm guilty of doing the opposite. Like I'll get to, I want to know everything. Not really, but you know, I love, I love learning new things. So I'll have like, you know, 30 videos queued up that I just, you know, I keep it running, keep it running. And then I'll realize I might be getting a little wound up and it's like, 
hey, did you take 30 minutes to yourself today of silence, you know, peace and quiet, have a little meditation and, you know, so I'm guilty of the opposite. So I, I definitely think that's a good habit. So who are your, some of your go-to, you mentioned James Allen, you mentioned, what was the other one? Yeah, oh, <clears throat> I think he's a Roman, former Roman emperor. You know, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Yeah. So I know he was like heavy into uh, stoicism, things oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. So yeah, who are, are some right. of your, who's, who's your top five go-to reads? Mm, I would say I would begin with James Allen. Uh, okay. The Victorian writer, he wrote a book entitled uh, As a Man Thinketh in His yep. Heart. Great volume. And I've, I've read an, a number of his books, Out from the Heart, uh, The Master of Destiny. Uh, I'm trying to remember the others because uh, uh, he writes about 1903 until 1912, if I remember very well. And he wrote a lot of books within that sh short space of time. <laughs> I couldn't shots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think he wrote over 10 books. Uh, and, it, you know, it seems like he was so much dedicated. It, and when you read his works, you, you think, I think he had more time to, to research the ancient traditions, Eastern philosophy, Buddhism, Confucianism. Hinduism, Christianity, and so forth, because he was just so highly spiritual and uh, highly, you know, conscious and knowledgeable. You know, people who were like him in his time, because he was just a, 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 a newspaper editor, what we call a journalist today. Those people were not important in, in the 1800s or early 1900s in England. You know, the important thing was the the king or the queen and the, the other people like the knights and so forth. You know, they rank yeah. people in a certain way. So if you are in journalism, you are nobody, but just like any <laughs> other, <laughs> but just yeah. like any other, you know, um, just like any other great man, hundred years later, the person surfaces with his writing and you realize, wow. But uh, another one I would say, the second one is uh, Thomas Troward. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was, he was English, descended into, uh, into uh, India uh, in the 1800s, or it might have been late 1800s, if I remember very well. Yeah. And he became a divisional judge there in Punjab. He has written a number of books, the creative... Uh, what's this title? I'm forgetting, but let me start with the one that I remember. Edinburgh Lectures on Mental Science. Beautiful work. I think that would be my, my number two. Uh, he also writes a very, very short volume, The Spirit of Opulence. I think it's not more than five pages where he speaks about opulence and all that. And then another one. That is it the creative force in the individual? I think that's what the, the title of the other book that I've read. Really, really deep stuff. I'm somebody who loves deep stuff, just like you, as you have said. Yeah. I love learning new things. Bring me something. Sometimes it's painful to learn new things. Well, yeah. let me think about the third one. One of the persons that has really touched my life 
was Stephen Arkovi. Uh, I'm sure you know him, the writer of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. When I was in Swaziland, I had a friend coming in an American, and then he came back to America. We were connected, and he learned about that. I love reading Stephen Arkovi speaking about him. So he said, oh, well, I know Stephen Arkovi. My friend lives in Provo. So he said, I occasionally meet him. So he connected me with him, and they collected all his writings books, sent them to Africa to me, and spoiled me. So, oh, wow. <laughs> That's so, great. You need to so schedule I, an interview with him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he died in 2012. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, wow. Yeah, Steve yeah. Lankobo was one of the great writers in the U.S. Yeah, the entire world. Um, I think a lot of people know him in, in the business sector because God, of that's, that's bizarre because, you know, I just got that book on Audible. I, I haven't even I haven't even finished it yet. I got it like six months ago, probably on Audible. Mm. Mm. Oh, no yeah. Clue. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. No he, clue. Not only his writings, the writings of his sons, because he has got a son that is almost doing the same thing. Uh, after him, because he was a, a, a president of uh, uh, Franklin Covey, that is his son, he, he became the president and later on started his own something similar. He has written okay. a book, it's called The Speed of Trust. His name is Stephen M.R. Covey. So the only difference is the M.R. in between. Okay. So it's kind of like the monarchical way of doing things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's the Stephen R. Covey Jr. or something like that. Right. Yeah, so that's the third one. The fourth one, let me see. There are so many. I think I, I've been excited and thrilled in learning about the ancient Egyptian uh, thought. It's called uh, Hermetic Teachings. Oh, it's yeah. found in a volume. I think the volume is about 100 and something pages called The Kabbalion. Yes. I occasionally yep. visit that. <laughs> I have it sitting right over there on the shelf. Oh, um, boy. So I, I got the Kabbalion by the Three Initiates. It's written uh -huh. anonymously. Yeah. It's the, yeah. all the Hermetic teachings. Or the, oh, it's really oh. a summary of the Hermetic teachings. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree with you there. Oh, that's really rich. rich. Yeah. That if one blew my mind. It's so <laughs> simple, but when you read it, I read it, I had to read it through twice before I was like, everything in this book is correct. And I thought, started thinking about things and that really opened my perception. That's, that's a must have, yeah. I agree with you on that one. Uh -huh. I always go back there and sometimes when I turn on the audio and I'm like, boy, it seems like all the problems that we occasionally run through can be solved by understanding what the Kabbalion talks about, the law of gender, the law of polarity, you know, yep. the law of rhythm and all that. And I'm like, wow. Unfortunately, in our communities, we are not raised that way to, yeah. you know, learning it at the family <laughs> level, at the school level. That's something obscure you have to find for yourself. And I think that should be part of our schools. It definitely should. And I think we have to take our own medicine, so to speak. So we have to go through this, see that it doesn't work in order to come back to those 
foundational principles that actually built society over thousands of years. I think that really has to happen because you can't force it on someone. You can, you can yell it, scream it all day. You can tell people to look at this, read this, but it's not until people hit a dead end that they choose to go in a different direction. So I think, I think we're kind of getting to that. Um, and I know you've got one more, but then I've got a question for you after your, after number five, what's your number five? I have to be current with number five. Okay. Uh, there is a, a brain coach called Jim Quick. I think you may know him. He has written a book, just one book. It's called Limitless. I don't know if I have it here. I should. Oh, yeah. That's another one I got on Audible, but I haven't I haven't <laughs> tapped into it yet. So oh, yeah. be, uh, I'll cue those up next. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I like about it is that it is more practical. I have always been a very, very slow reader. And that thing frustrates me because I know that there is a lot in books, in these good books, wisdom literature. So living at a snail pace frustrates me. So I try to get programs to just awaken my mind. And, and so here he speaks about memory, he speaks about re speed reading and, uh, and all the like and principles such as focus, which is, uh, you know, I've read it in other books. So I will say that's my number five. Nice. That's a good one. I think, um, I think we have the same problem. I'm just slow. I'm just slow at reading. <laughs> I don't have an excuse. English is my first language, but I'm still slow. I, I read, but I, the way my mind is, as I read through, I want to break it down and understand it 100% before I go any further. And that's impossible to do when you're reading a book. You got to read it two, three, maybe even five times before you start soaking in the majority of it. So I've found my, my way around that is to, you know, use audiobooks, use book summaries in some cases. I don't really like to, but I'll, I'll do audiobooks. And um, that way I can keep doing stuff without stopping, reading, breaking everything down. If I hear it, I can retain it. So that's my cheat code to get reading more books. <laughs> it's just <laughs> audio format. <laughs> But um, we talked about some, some of the time and place of these writers, some of their occupations. And when I look back, I wonder like how much different of a world it must have been in. I feel like today we have so much nonsense attached to our day-to-day -day lives. Like we're so focused and so ingrained in some of our, some of the industrial behavior patterns that I think we're we're probably operating at like thirty percent efficiency, I mean tops, just commuting to work and doing doing things in the way in which we do them, spending time on the things that don't really matter to us. You know, how much time do we spend on things that don't directly improve our life. I'm not even talking about TV, but just the maintenance of a suburban type of environment, a suburban type of life. I look back and, you know, we talk about practicality. 
I think there was an element of sustainability incorporated in people's lives, like subsistence farming and, and, you know, just common sense, really, if you, <laughs> if you want to make a living, you have to, you have to work for it. You have to have your lifestyle integrated into that. But I look back and it's like, okay, to manage the grass, they probably had livestock, which yielded, you know, produce in the mm. form of, of livestock. And they also <laughs> had their garden. They had this, they had that going. Now you look today, everything costs us time and money. See, so it's either going to cost you time or money to maintain your lawn now. It's either going to cost you time or money to go buy your fruits and vegetables. You gotta, you gotta constantly trade your time and your money just, just to stay where you're at, not even to move forward. So I don't know. When I look back and I see how much certain people achieved sometimes in a very short period of time i just wonder what what would it look like today if the world was still operating with that with those principles in mind do you think my question to you do you think the lifestyle of that time say you know time of marcus aurelius do you think that was a factor in him being able to actualize himself? Or do you think he just made it happen? Mm, I think it's a combination of both because they had adversity. Uh, you yeah. know, some of these Stoics, uh, Seneca, Aurelius, uh, uh, who are the others? Oh, well, uh, I, I forget them. You realize that though some of them had success, great success, becoming an emperor or becoming a right-hand man of an emperor, you find that some of them would be exiled from being high up there in high office. Sometime you, you get exiled and you have to run away or you have to, you have, you, have broke, you have to break your limbs somehow through certain adversities. So they made it happen because of the principles that they believed in. When you look at Stoicism, you know, as opposed to another school of thought called the Epicureans, they believed that the highest good was virtue. So they were grounded on these principles. And I also like to think that, you know, in, in our communities, I will just fold my fists like this and say, you will have the community behave in a certain way. And then you also have the moral laws of the universe. You find that the community is like this. And there will be also what is called the church. Uh, the church and the community were in this same level. And that is any, whatsoever church may mean spirituality, whatsoever organization or a religious belief or moral belief that you have, you'll find that the moral belief system and the community were kind of like at, at par. But in recent years or in the highly industrialized world we live in today, you know, the community is gone down and, uh, you know, the institutions, spiritual institutions are left by themselves. There, there is not that uh, connection or congruity, uh, congruity uh, amongst the two. So way back then, 
moral law was part and parcel of the community, the family, the individual, they were grounded in that. They don't have to go to a school and be taught or read a book to learn more about it. It was part and parcel of the community. So that's why I'm saying uh, they, they had to make it happen and also the circumstances were allowing. Somebody once observed that in order to get evil, or be penetrated by some evil thing you in world war ii you needed to go out there and find it you know we know today we talk about immoral things we talk about pornography we talk about all these things that bombard us and make our heads crazy sometimes we don't realize the thing that we are exposed to sometimes we are exposed not realizing that we are exposed to something corrupting to the mind so those people they didn't have all that so up until World War II in the 1940s and so forth, <laughs> the thinking was you had to go out there and find evil, you know, find all these negative things. But today, so thick and fast, these things are just right around us. You know, I think it does affect us and send us crazy. For instance, social media, I think it's a great disturbance, though it is a great tool because now we are yeah. having all these applications. So it is always good and even. <laughs> That's that uh, back to the the law of duality, you know, exactly. from the hermetic teachings. And 100%. That's, I think that's a good point. Like they didn't have near the conveniences that we have today, but they also at the same time didn't have the same challenges like there's always been corruption we have corruption today we had corruption then people are getting killed you may not get exiled but there's cancel culture yeah uh, mm -hmm. you know you can you can't i mean you could technically be imprisoned and you know there's different forms of exile today i think but yeah um, in some ways it's the same just a yeah. different time and for those things that we've we've got greater conveniences and greater opportunities those those same challenges come along with those so yeah with that said yeah. within every challenge is an opportunity so it's important to to understand those principles i guess and that kind of helps us navigate no matter what time or place we're in and but, uh, I believe, I, I believe that our time is more tougher, it's more difficult. And to survive in this time, I believe it requires a lot of strength. It requires a lot of uh, character. You know, yeah. just look at the restoration. I believe that we live in an age where there's just a restoration of all things. The ancient teachers that seemingly went to sleep somehow in, in the subsequent centuries and generations suddenly there is just this bubbling it's coming up the east african ancient history the west coming up everything is coming together and we are living in a digital deluge there's all kinds of distraction like never before so i believe uh, they're able to accomplish much and show us so much character but they were not faced with so much uh, adversity with so much challenges as we have. I believe we are more stronger than them because of what we have to go through and have what, to, we have, what we have to battle with. As a matter of fact, if you choose to be virtuous today, 
I have got great respect for such a person who choose principle over, you know, fancifulness and all these uh, female fences. I have great respect for that person today because of what we get constantly bombarded with others. There are people out there who are intent in just making us slaves, you know, because yeah. of information. And we've seen all this censoring that just shows that people are intent in having us going a certain direction, thinking certain things, but still to have people who will still choose virtue over vice. I've got great respect for such. And that's, that's a really difficult thing to do in this time. Like you said, it's endless distractions. It's a dip. It takes a different level of mental fortitude to navigate in today's world. But I think in a way, all the challenges that, you know, people of the past went through, their teachings are still echoing forward into today. They're still holding true. Stoicism is still a very useful way. I think they had more physical threats, you know, they, I mean, they were physically probably had the same level of bombardment that we have mentally. So it's mm-hmm. kind of just that shift. It's different eras, different, uh, different struggles, but I think that's an interesting point, you know, and I, it's to, in my opinion, it's each generation's responsibility to do their absolute best because anything less than that, it's not going to be enough. You know, it's not, you're, you're setting the stage for future generations. And that's why I think it's so important that we all tap into our higher selves, so to speak, that we all move in that direction of of self-actualization because everyone has something to contribute to the world. So, and we have the tools. And we have the tools to deal with all the challenges we have. There's no excuses. It's hard. It's not going to do it by itself, but we have everything we need. I mean, we really do. So, what is your gift to the world? Wow, that's an interesting question. <laughs> Maybe I'll, re- I should take it. <laughs> I'll rephrase it. I'll rephrase it. So what do you think of day and night in terms of what you want to accomplish here while you're alive? You know, I believe that there is some greater power uh, that is interested in me, interested in all of humanity. We may call that power in various languages. We say God, we can call spirit, others, you know. I believe that power is so much interested in each one of us, interested in me, and that power broadcast its light to me, through me, and I have to give it to others. So I always feel like that I have to teach other people what I learn. I, some, some years ago, I came to the conclusion that my purpose is to share knowledge with other people. Hence, I jumped into the opportunity to, to do podcasting. Before yeah. I came to the U.S., I think three years before I came to the U.S., I used to be a good guest writer for the Times of Swaziland. So okay. every week I will write an article 
it was more of self-development uh, stuff and the philosophy and spirituality that I would write about, uh, you know. So I felt like that was my way of contributing to life since I have this passion for learning, this love for wisdom, and not only just mere loving and passion, but acting on it, gathering books. And, you know, when you love something, you want to share with others. You want to share uh, your voice. You want, to share, you, you want to share yourself with others in the best way that you can. So I was convinced some years ago that, that this is my area. This is how I can impact uh, the world and reach out to a lot of people. And I've gone around in my neighborhood or in Swaziland, in the universities and sometimes some institutions, uh, religious institutions where people are gathered in numbers and gave motivational speeches. So that's what I thought my area is as inspired by others who have gone before me who are doing the same thing, those I, that I look up to. I don't know if <laughs> I got the question right. And yeah, no, point, you did. The response. So I find that people who have been through the most in life, the most struggle, the most adversity, uh, some of the hardest times are some of the most dedicated. And I know this is kind of a blanket statement. It's not meant to be um, exclusive, mm. if you will. But what I'm saying is some of the people who care the most have been through the most and that those, those challenges have kind of uh, motivated them to change the world for the better. Now, we're, we all have our journey um, and everyone's journey is unique. Was there any point in time, any specific thing that set you on this journey of seeking knowledge, wisdom, enlightenment, and kind of dedicating yourself to helping others. Is there any one moment or was it just something that kind of culminated over time? Mm, I didn't grow up in a well-off family. I grew up in humble circumstances. Um, I lived, I usually say to people, I, li I have lived in two worlds, not at the same time, in the process of time, you find yourself having lived, you know, in the urban life, in the city life. At the same time, I had a spell of living in the rural areas where your parents they send you to Korea and you go to school there. And uh, that's where we, we, we did, uh, I lived on such a uh, sub, uh, oh boy, sometimes I fail to pronounce some words, subsistence farming, is it, it subsistence yeah. farming? Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, where I learned a great deal about life. Uh, sometimes you, you will, uh, not sometimes that life demanded you to be a shepherd, to, be, to mind the cattle, the livestock, take them to the grazing fields and be exposed to all kinds of things, snakes and uh, exposed to all kinds of creatures, uh, some wasp and so that will sting you and get swollen on the body and all that, sometimes you will be required to go to the fields and to plowing or harvest before you go to school. 
that kind of life. I I don't think today we handle that. <laughs> Doing that yeah. before learning, I don't think we do. people are eating toaster strudels and <laughs> watching cartoons. <laughs> it's quite playing a on the iPad. Life. So yeah, so that that was really tough. That was really tough because, as a matter of fact, I would say we we'll, we were able to handle that. I was able to handle that because of the kind of food that we ate. We were more closer to nature, unlike today. And um, you will find yourself exposed to all kinds of natural fruits in the wilderness. Some of them, I, I can't even remember the names or I can't identify them anyway in the really highly industrialized and uh, urban area. Even you go to Walmart, you go to Smith's or this shop, you find nothing like it. Those were natural, rich, not tempered by anyone trying to divert nature for his own purposes or whatnot. And we had a family garden that we had to uh, work on and uh, rotate uh, all kinds of vegetables. We had an orchard, some of the fruits that were growing within the home. We don't need to go to the wilderness. We guavas were as fresh as you can find them in nature, rich, 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 rich colleagues. I look back and I say, that was real life. That yeah. was real life, not what we are experiencing today. So that kind of lack, you know, we always aspire to leave, go to the city and live in the city. It seemed like it was comfortable with TV. And you wanted, when you were a kid, you aspire and yeah. you, know, you know what TV <laughs> does to you. So I don't think I was, I grew up in a wealthy environment. I always had to work hard, even at school. So that made me aspire for greater things. But the story that I want to quickly jump into is uh, uh, after my high school, I lived in South Africa for about two years. I was busy with some charity work. And when I was doing service there in about 100 miles south of Johannesburg city in South Africa, there is a location where I was doing service in a local library. And uh, as I was picking the books and organizing them, there is this book that stood out to me, First Things First. It was written by Stephen R. Covey. And <laughs> just yeah. the philosophical title, First Things First, mm, that's kind of like tautologia, so it's confusing. First Things First. So I picked it up and opened the first page, just read there. And I'm like, wow, it just... You know, the book came out into me. I went into it, you know, having this kind of uh, temporal marriage then of the two. And that made me to get my own copy later on that I studied. I did the same thing that you said you do. Just make sure that you understand what is in every page. Sometimes you take yes. six months reading the same book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because you love the knowledge, you want to. You know, you are selfish. You want to take it all and take it all now. Yeah. So that's where that's what began the process of interest in spiritual and uh, uh, wisdom literature, self-development literature. From there, it, you know, book after book, just like I've said, the books that were sent to me by Stephen R. Covey. And one thing that I recognize with him, whenever he had footnotes or endnotes, I will go into the endnote and look at who is this author that has such a beautiful quote. And I go to the bibliography 
And sometimes Stephen Alcove has a tendency of listing what he termed the wisdom literature. And I will go in there, find Plato, Confucius, and say, I, I want this. The Eucosontras of Patanjali, the, the Indian mystic, I want that. Let me go and find the book, buy the book, download if they are old books, you find them for free online. So that led me from one book to another, and that started that journey, search for knowledge, learning, wisdom, and, and so forth. I love it, man. That's, that's how it happens. You know, you find one thing and you get so excited by that and it leads you to five other things or 10 other things. And then next thing you know, you got like a hundred books on your wish list <laughs> and you get, you just have to chip away at it. And, you know, you don't read it all at once, but you might read 10 books this year. You might read 50 books. I don't know. But as you chip away, the more you learn, the more you learn. I know it sounds like redundant, but it's true. The more you learn, oh, it's true. the more you learn. And I mean, it's exponentially, it's an exponential process because you build on the foundational knowledge that you already have as you develop it. And then when you go to learn a new thing, it typically interconnects to several other things you've already learned so then you it's a compounding process you learn more on things that you're already familiar with so it's just it's crazy but anyone who's picked up a book or or even heard just a, a clip that resonated with them off of youtube or anything like that they understand what we're talking about right now which is once you get going once you find one thing that strikes you, that sticks out, it just turns into this journey and you end up, you know, transforming yourself in the process. So just hearing you describe that life, though, coming from Swaziland and, and just, just I, I'm just envisioning this almost like a movie scene. And it just sounds I know it's hard work, but it man, it sounds so peaceful. And, and it sounds like a vacation from suburbia. And I just think in some ways, you know, the resources we have and, and like, in terms of medical um, treatment, you know, if you get hurt, it, it, there's, there's a lot of benefits to industrial society but there's, there's just as many drawbacks. Like when people make it, so to speak, when they make it here, all they want is a house with some land. They want to travel to these places. They want to travel to uh, coastal regions where again, the fruit is in abundance. It's not, it's not being sprayed with uh, pesticides and you know Monsanto products yeah. everywhere. No. This Baby is real stuff. stuff. I, I went to Puerto Rico. I've been twice now. Um, it's been a, it's been a few years since I went, but the fruit there is so amazing. I mean, a mango the size of a football, and it's perfect. Avocados, same thing. You know, I've never seen that in my life here. You get an avocado, it's like this hard. They pick it before it even ripens. It's just, <laughs> they don't care. You know, it's just about 
get get the profit you know so and it takes weeks to get here nothing we're eating is fresh nothing so just to sit down and imagine what that would be like it's you're trading one 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 form of wealth for another that's what i think no i agree with you somewhere in the middle is the key it's like if we can do this if we can leverage technology and resources to our benefit but not have like that corporate neuroticism about more 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 profit 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 you still gotta there's a balance like things are gonna have to be out of profit but things don't have to ruin the world in the process and things don't have to be produced in a way that doesn't serve us that's just so counterintuitive to me so just on that eric i'm sorry just on that because as i've said that i've lived in two worlds um, i think about what we have mentioned some of the institutions such as monsanto you know and think about the way food tests here i've been here for about 15 months i'm always like not that i i have disrespect for america or anything i'm always like no the food it just doesn't taste well because i know 15 months ago i will taste you know guava from the wilderness yeah. i will taste the uh, taste mango i will taste all these kind of even vegetables even meat itself yes it's so juicy and so really tasty uh, whether it's chicken whether it's uh, it's goat whether it's a uh, beef here what i've been eating is like when you I boil just beef, this stuff is forming and you see some fat around uh, the meat, but it doesn't translate to grease, you know, as you are boiling it, it's just water. And I'm like, what kind of food is this? And that's the kind of stuff that I feel like, oh boy, I miss Africa for, because yes, Yes. Monsanto is roaming the entire earth, corrupting the soil. I've, I, I know it's already in Africa big time because the education, it seems like they had a way of getting into the education, the agriculture education, so yep. that people may believe in Monsanto. And since I've been here, I've had to argue with some Americans about, you know, GMOs. Yeah. Two arguments that they make, which is quite interesting to me. It doesn't make sense, but it makes sense to them. Monsanto did the work, the psychology very well. One, oh, yeah. that there isn't enough to go around for everyone. So we need GMOs. We are starving in order to cover up for all these gaps or lacunas. We need GMOs. Two, some fruits, you can't have them in a certain season. So we are able to supply them throughout. And I'm like, man, there's just one argument that I have against all that. We are living in nature and the natural. And I know how it's like to live in that life. And yeah. when we shift away, because we are nature ourselves, ourselves. So when we shift away and start eating contrary to our very nature, we corrupt ourselves, we corrupt our brains, we corrupt our bodies. And that's why way back then, there was nothing like uh, cancer. There was nothing like autism. There was nothing like... Uh, uh, what you call high blood pressure or, or what, uh, these kind of diseases that are 
you know, killing a lot of people today. I didn't mm-hmm. know about them way back then when we live in the farm with all this food. Just like the ancient will say, Eric, they will say, all disease is one disease and food is medicine. And yep. today, those who want to kill us, they also attack us through food. They, they attack our greatest resource, the land. So that has been my experience. Uh, uh, sorry for taking so much. Oh, that's, that's perfect. And I, I think you hit on some good points. And that's, I believe it was Socrates. And of course, I do want to make a distinction here. Yeah. Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, we talk about Swaziland. We talk, we haven't talked yet, but um, about ancient African history and hermeticism, the mystery schools. And that's probably another conversation, but the great philosophers of our time learned from the mystery schools and Kemet, you know, which today we, we basically refer to Egypt. That land was the land of Kim. Mm -hmm. And this is where they went to, so again, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, they all went there. That's, that's the motherland of the world. Yeah. And this is where the foundational understanding, even from Socrates, would say, uh, let thy food be thy medicine and thy medicine be thy food. And one of his uh, recipes even survived to date you know Socrates soup (laughs) it's it's just crazy that we're so distracted and and mentally dysfunctional to think that you know medicine a pill a man it's a chemically synthesized pill derived from plant medicine but chemically synthesized for mass production that that's the answer to the obvious problems of what's missing in our natural day-to-day. Food, water, exercise, sunlight, land, and, and exposure to chemicals, toxins, genetically modified um, foods, organisms. I mean, we see the effects. There, people aren't dying in the millions of heart disease, of stroke, of, you know, all these morbidities, comorbidities. Why do you think we have that? It's like, what's it going to take? But, uh, you know, I digress on this tangent here. I think people are starting to wake up. I think the best advice anyone can get right now is to keep it simple. Like if you if you really operate on that, just keep it simple, you will solve 99.99% of all your own problems in real time. Not years from now, not, if you keep it simple, you will have the perspective that it takes to identify. It's like, okay, I have high blood pressure. Okay, why do I have high blood pressure? Well, what's the causes of high blood pressure? Like, just follow the rope on things. But I think we've talked about 
the difference in worlds, the difference in times, some of the great philosophers, I think we're going to have to meet in the middle at some point. Like we're going to have to stop this corporate pillaging of the, of the world in order to combine the best of both. Like industrialism is definitely good in a lot of ways, but in terms of our natural lifestyle, we can't, we can't get away from that. Like we need good food. You talked about eating certain foods and that they don't even taste right. I'm frustrated because there's no store you can go to to get real food. It's, it's all factory farmed. Even if you go to Whole Foods and you, you know, to get some tomatoes. If you've ever grown home, homegrown tomatoes and you tasted one of those compared to even a Whole Foods tomato, an organic Whole Foods tomato, it doesn't even compare. It tastes like water. It tastes like nothing. Oh, yeah. You have a real a real fruit or real vegetable. It literally we don't even taste that stuff. So when you have it, it your mouth basically explodes. Like I I was saying in Puerto Rico, I tried this fruit. It was insane. All the flavor, all the it revitalizes you. That's what it's supposed to do. It's nourishment. And we don't even know what that is. So uh, I can oh, say yeah. <laughs> just having grown up here, I lived, lived in suburbia all my life. All I've ever wanted to do is spend the majority of my time on the beach, not doing nothing, but I would just like to live in a tropical region where I can source fresh fruits and vegetables, fresh fish. I mean, I live for that stuff, man. Because once you get a taste of that, you realize it's almost like it feels like everything is fake. That's what it feels like. It feels like the meat is fake. Now the meat is literally fake. <laughs> They're growing fake meat in the labs. <laughs> it's not even the hypothetical. I mean, it's not even the metaphorical anymore. It's They're literally really? making fake meat. <laughs> Oh my gosh, what have we, what have oh, we yeah. gotten to? So I have had um, like actual kosher, that's probably the closest I've gotten would be like kosher raised beef. Mm-hmm. Oh man, it doesn't even compare to the regular store-bought stuff. The flavor isn't, you, you basically don't even need seasoning. Of course, it's, it's better with seasonings, but it's like the meat tastes so good on its own because of mm. all the 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 nutrients it's just nutrient dense meat like people don't realize you get a lot of amino acids you get a lot of uh, vitamins and minerals from properly raised meat that's a source of nutrition it's not just protein but in america we think meat is protein the vegetables and all that give us the rest but if it's not raised right it it's just not going to be right when you eat it. So, yeah, because everything Eric is connected to everything else. You and I know that. I'm, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people know that. So, when the the animal or the cattle or the cow eats the grass, the grass turns and becomes the animal. 
And yes. when I eat the animal that ate the grass, the animal becomes me. I become, you know, it tends to be me. And as I have access to the various rich plants, natural plants, because we are all nature together with these other, uh, what I call the, uh, the kingdom, the vegetation kingdom, animal kingdom, and then the kingdom of man, which is the higher intelligence. We are all connected. That's why we're all connected to to each other. That's why if you remove one and you, do, you mistreat one and you cause all this emission that they kill plants, dirty water and dirty, all this, it becomes dirty food and That's uh, it. dirty air. And everybody is affected because of the ecology of things. And that's that's really not good. But the good thing is, you know, humanity is not dead. Humanity seems to be rising up in, within the hearts of many people. And people are aware, as we are talking, that's awareness that yeah. things are not going okay and we must do something, have our own garden, our backyards, when we can be able to afford to have land. And um, there we have our healthy food and limit the GMOs that are so deadly and causing so many diseases in our lives. And that's, that's really it. I mean, the only thing eating worse than us is our food. And I mean, all the animals, all the livestock, they're being force-fed corn waste, basically corn byproduct, and then they're being pumped full of antibiotics and steroids to force growth, to keep them alive while they're, they're sick. They're sick, like any yeah. animal would be in those conditions. And then we're eating that. We're eating trash. We're eating toxic waste, basically. So um, I think people are waking up, though. It's not all negative. Yeah. And I'm a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. So do you feel like this kind of has to happen before we can appreciate the balance of nature? Oh, oh yeah. <clears throat> Malcolm X once mentioned something uh, interesting. He spoke about in order to transform society, you have to shake society. You have to shake mm. the community. I think we are going through the shaking and without the shaking, we are not forced to re reflect of who we are. We remain blind. We walk hibernating down the street, not being aware of what's going on. So we occasionally, we, we need some moments of shaking uh, having this adversity and being aware that oh well seems like we are being bombarded with all kinds of crazy things and where is the safest harbor what's our refuge and that's very important that we get this shaking so that we can now all of us collectively awake and start heading the right direction and those who are really intent in making us sleep more and more, or we'll be shaken too, they might be thrown out of. As a matter of fact, I would like to think it this way. We have long abdicated the throne and we have allowed people 
you know, to stay up there and uh, be the one percent and just driving us, you know. Uh, Emerson once said, and now I remember him, things are at the sadly and right men, <laughs> which is quite interesting. We have allowed uh, so many things to be at the sadly, uh, just like when you were riding your, your horse uh, and we are being ridden and the awakening is important to realize that we've allowed some folks to be at the sideline riding us and that help us that pain of going through that, that slavery, modern day slavery, which is so nuanced or sadly, you'll be able to throw it away. You'll be able to overcome it when we go through this shaking. I think that's important that we go through this shaking that Malcolm X was speaking about. I think that's right. I mean, I think people are gonna continue to take things for granted, to be essentially blind to everything until we hit that point until, and I, I think we're hitting that point now. So before you can jump, maybe maybe you have to hit, hit the ground level first in order to um, make that jump forward. So that's, uh, that's something that I think we have to take into consideration a little bit more and I think what's missing in all of this is individual responsibility. That's something that was inherent in the lifestyle before. Like you knew you had to be responsible. You knew now people are, have been programmed, it seems, to look externally, to put that responsibility on someone else. Not me, right? I'm not yeah. responsible for my life, my well-being. It's someone else's job to make sure I'm taken care of and I'm okay and that the world's right. We need to get back to claiming and you know, willfully accepting individual responsibility for our collective circumstance. So with all that being said, we talked about philosophers we've talked about the difference in lifestyle we know this is integrated in our being and in our health what do you feel is going on right now in the world with and take this where you want but what do you feel is going on right now in the world you know at this current time I feel that there's an attempt to one, one last ditch effort to seize power and control over humanity. It seems like a great push in that direction to some somewhat of a dystopian future. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on, but in your own words, how do you see things right now? What do you feel is going on in the world? I think uh, we are living in a very raucous time, <laughs> it's noisy, and it's, it's, it's difficult to concentrate, except when you tend to spirituality and uh, do your meditation and uh, tend within, because all power comes from within. When we tend within, we, we are able to uh, 
you know, again, rediscover ourselves or gain ground. I think uh, today, you know, when asked this question, I think of politics, I think of the world of medicine. The other day I posted on social media that the greatest marriage of our generation is the marriage between medicine and politics. And at the same time, it is the most disastrous marriage uh, that has happened because, you know, today we have things such as coronavirus whatsoever is being said about the origin, whether it's coming from animals or coming from a lab. I don't want to go there. You know, you see the play of politics and the people who go to school, you know, to do medicine, they've got no idea. It seems like, as uh, somebody once mentioned, they've got no idea what's going on, but psychologists seem to have been, uh, you know, been at work on this because at first when this thing hits, or when this thing came, we were, I was scared what's going on, we're going to die. Look at this virus that is being sent out there in the world. I mean, that is just roaming the earth and uh, sending us into our homes and you know lockdowns. But after a while being a lover of knowledge, trying to search a little bit, and then you get off mainstream and then you find doctors who are consistent yes. with uh, what the virus is and what it does in your body. And on the other hand, we've got people like Dr. Fauci and the World, uh, World Health Organization. You know, they're hip hopping. You know, they're here, they're there, they're changing. They're saying one thing. The next day, they change after some few months and say, go back to this. Oh, well, we don't know about this virus. So we are kind of like learning it. But there are certain doctors who have been just consistent from much telling us what's, what the virus is and what it does in the body, how to deal with it at a very individual level. We even can go in at the institutional level. So you realize there, as we have said, that there is this thing of trying to control. And now we are being driven to think that the Messiah for mankind against this devil called the virus is a vaccine and nothing else. And somebody like me, who has lived in a world where food is medicine, closer to nature, and I'm saying to myself, as I watch some of the honest doctors talking about this, I know there is garlic, I know there is turmeric, I know there is ginger, and you name all these that can disrupt the works of the virus within. And uh, I've lived in Africa, whenever we have flu, whatever strains of flu, always it's not about the Western medicine thinking a drug. It's about organizing these vitamin C lemons and put together with honey, with garlic and with ginger. And you are able to work that one out. And as I studied in this whole, this whole, what I will term darkness, uh, and I'm like, Wow, this is interesting that we are being diverted. Anybody who wants to speak about garlic as a, a solution, the natural, you know, plants is taken down, censored, mm -hmm. and, and yep. stuff like that. And you realize how medicine and politics, that marriage has become so disastrous, and it has never been so exposed how disastrous it is than in this virus. 
uh, Eric. That has been fascinating to me. But I am hopeful there are so many people who are waking up. You are one of them who is aware of what's going on. And uh, joining hands and others that are having groupings all over the world, trying to get back to reality and not follow uh, the mainstream of things, uh, mainstream politics, mainstream science, what others call sales science, because really it becomes a sales science rather than real science <laughs> that we should be having, you know. And the yeah. unfortunate thing that people that have met here who, when they, you know, suddenly walk up to realize the dealings of men, they found the Western way of medicine, which is drugs. Once we've got a headache, go for a drug. This liquid pain, go and see if they can, you can do surgery. Some things that we never worried about, we never worry about in Africa because of the way we have lived our life. So people, I find myself interacting with people and kind of like saying, you know what, there is Western medicine, which does this part. If you get into a car wreck and you break yes. your limbs, you know, it's, it's very valuable, but there is West Eastern medicine, Africa going to the East, you, you, you find that it's more defensive. It's more, it's the way you have to eat, the way you, you treat yourself, avoiding certain sicknesses. And that is not anywhere in what the WHO is saying. Nothing about the immune system, such a powerful system in our body, but always <laughs> let's go to the vaccines. So that's what I've observed, Eric. Yeah, and that's, that's an interesting point because how do we have a, a discussion about health without discussing the immune system, without discussing the essential vitamins and minerals, and you know that includes trace minerals like zinc, selenium, mm -hmm. magnesium, um, and there are more. But how do we have a discussion about health and not cover these things? This is, I would just like to invite people to question everything and to really think about how does their body work? Like, if you know how it works, you know how to take care of it. When you get a, a, a car, a vehicle, you know, typically comes with an owner's manual. It tells you mm -hmm. how much fluids to put in, what type, what, you know, there's, there's instructions. We don't come with instructions, unfortunately, but we do have access at least to the knowledge and wisdom of you know the rest of humanity across time yeah it's fragmented but we have quite a bit to work with in terms of how to holistically maintain our health and it seems like you know in western culture that's that's not really brought up it's not about health it's about medicine mm. So I, agree. I feel like we're really putting the, the cart before the, or the, the horse, the cart before the horse yeah. on that. So um, what do you think it's going to take? I mean, we talked a little bit about this, I guess. We're going to have to go through this. We're going to have to do our best individually. We're going to have to take this one day at a time, communicate with each other and, it's kind of weird how the push for isolation has come through. There's a strong push 
basically the opposite of togetherness, which is what you need to overcome things. Um, but it's, it's more, you still see people going in the stores. There's like hundreds of people, you know, shopping in Target, Walmart, Home Depot, whatever it is. But <laughs> I'm not even going to get started on the mass. <laughs> people are in proximity and they're having contact with one another in certain circumstances and without getting too much on, you know, the whole virus thing and all this, it's contradictory. It it's just seems like the whole world is backwards. It's like, okay, doing that at home is not okay or at the gym or even just, uh, you know, coming together and, and cooperating on something. But going shopping at these corporate stores that's just finds perfectly safe right it's like yeah. it's so backward everything is so backwards and yeah. it's like okay there's a there's an immune threat right call it what you want there's an immune threat sweeping the world and so stay stay inside keep a mask on right at, at all times and basically do things that we know make you immune compromised <laughs> in, in, in response. I just, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's like you said, it's, it's uh, sales science at this point. It, it seems like this has been kind of a long time in the making and I won't go into those details on here. You know, I'm sure you've seen me post some things here and there, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll just say it seems like this has been a long time in the making. Yeah. yeah. Seems like there's been a systematic approach to trying to break the psychological sense of community for a while. How does that differ from? you know, back home for you, I would imagine it, it's just a given that you have to have community, you have to have family values intact, you have to be, I'm sure things aren't perfect. But like you said, it's kind of when no choice is the best choice, sometimes, because yeah. you had to, you had to. And there's some inherent value in that whereas here people don't think they need anyone until they do and mm. you know we go along people can order their food they can order their groceries they can order what they want all off their phone and sit in the apartment or you know sit in their room all day and uh, oh, work from home you know some people don't even have to leave the house anymore and they're not yeah. and um, that's just bizarre to me yeah. It's like, what's the point of living? That's basically a, a jail cell. It's basically a prison. Well, Eric, in, in Africa, you might have heard me talk about this, some of the values. There's one thing that cuts across, or I would say it's structural in Africa, in every African country. There's this thing we call the spirit of Ubuntu. You might have heard me speak about that, which is just uh, in a philosophical language, we say... I am because you are, because you are, therefore I am. Or 
I am because we are, because we are, therefore I am. That means, speaks about the, you know, we are connected to each other. As uh, Adam, is it Adam Mark, uh, Adam Markham's, is it Edwin Markham's, I think he says that we are all angels with one wing and we only fly when we embrace each other. You know, that's uh, the fabric of the African society. We move as groups, we are, we still believe in community. If they, we hear that somebody in the community is uh, sick, people, you know, go in there to see how they can help and help the person. Uh, whenever there is a funeral, you know, a whole community comes together, they start talking, hey, so and so has passed on there. From the first day they hear that people flock into that home, other, you know, our senior parents, they stay in there and, you know, kind of like helping the family um, up until the day of a night vigil and funeral. People are there and after the funeral, still you will have members of the community in that home there to do service and see how they can help. So in the Western world, I don't see that. And mostly, as people say, in the West is more individualistic. So in Africa, it's all about community. And as we grew up, this is something really fascinating. We still look back and talk about it. If you mess up in the community and elderly person is passing and you are doing some naughty business, that elderly person is your parent too, because they're going to grab you and whip you. <laughs> That's yeah. how community works. That's how we kept the values in our African communities. Your, your parents are not only your parents, they also parent other children as they see on the street so that the community is organized, there are less crimes, everybody is vigilant and taking care of each other. Your parents will not come to your neighbor and say, why were you beating my child and whatnot? When they hear that you got beaten, because... <laughs> I <already> know. <laughs> You're gonna get whooped again. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> I already knew it, man. I already knew it. <laughs> hey, some of us grew up like that here. So <laughs> I better not get in trouble by anybody as a kid because the same thing. Yeah. Same thing, yeah. man. So that's how <laughs> the values are, are kept. And uh, you grew up in all the yeah. setup where you have to take responsibility. If you come back... Yeah and uh, you are holding your arm close to yourself because somehow it's been hurt, you fell from a tree, you are in for it because you will get whipped. Why, why did you go up to the extreme branches of the tree? <laughs> we want you don't do APCT, you get whipped before you are taken care of. Oh, and when they take care of you, yeah. there's no grudge. They will really show that your mother or your grandma loves you and takes care of you, put the bandage around. And, you know, they nurse you, they give you food and all these things, extra nursing that you hardly get when you are all fine. You see that the, everything is done in balance, you know. So that's the kind of world that I grew up in and how the values are, are kept. And when you grow up, you grow up and see this responsibility. You know, community meetings, uh, the chief in the community will, uh, in, in his chiefdom, call up the people to come together for meetings that geared towards making the community better. If there's been a rise of crimes or they hear that there's some 
few youngsters or gangs that are roaming around and taking people's things and doing all this, they have to have a community meeting. It's not an individual thing. It's not an issue of having a system of police officers that we must ring and they, they run and they are looking forward to doing investigation. They take responsibility. There is community policing in a sense, such that if we catch you committing an offense or the family was able to recognize you, we go around the neighborhood hunting for you and you'll be beaten, really, really beaten. So there's been all this community thing of doing things for safety, for healthy, for all this, for emotional boost, whenever you've lost someone or you are sick. If you are sick, you are in the hospital, people flock in there to see how you're doing and all that. So that's the community. I, I don't mean that in the West you don't see that, but the, you know, uh, I, I grew up in that kind of setting, Eric. And I think we could definitely use more cultural values in that sense because it's kind of it's kind of empty culturally it's the, there's no there's no basis there's no standard it's just kind of like whatever programming comes down through mainstream media or whatever is the the current focus that's the that's the new mm -hmm. thing so like all this political correctness and all this it, to me it's noise. It's a bunch of nonsense. Why is it always something? Why is it always a polarized mm. issue that it wasn't there before? And now all of a sudden, it's the biggest problem in the world. It's like we're force fed problems, but we focus everything on problems, but not on solutions. Yeah. So when you come with a solution, it's, it's unheard. It's, it falls on deaf, deaf ears. You can say, you can literally give the solution to any given problem. It's not going to matter. People aren't interested in the solution. They're interested in the problem. They're interested in uh, being malicious, having a reason to attack others, uh, whether it's socially or whatever. And, you know, we have cancel culture we have this we have that but it's like what are we, are we actually wanting solutions or are we just wanting to fight about problems and this is something that crosses my mind when i hear about you know a particular issue or whatever may be going on it's just like what's what's the desired result from these actions that's why i like to keep the end in mind why am I doing A, B, and C? And I think people have slowly forgotten how to solve their own problems or that they even can solve their own problems. And when you have a community that holds each other accountable, that practices responsibility and maintains those standards and those values, you live in a different world. And it's so backwards. It's like people are getting punished for, for, um, excuse me. Yeah. So people, people are getting punished for menial things, but then you have serious criminals, you know, pedophiles, uh, violent assailants, you know, 
getting getting out on probation or getting you know walking away from charges it just seems like we're almost promoting as much dysfunction as possible at times and again not to be negative I think that can change just as quickly um, in the other direction but it seems like when you lose the value system at the family community level it reflects across the whole of society so I think that's something that's missing and um, it's not too late to change it Oh, yeah, I agree, Eric. It's just to hop into that loop. Um, as you speak about, you know, the challenges that values uh, are facing today and uh, the beautiful cultures that have founded our communities, you know, I think about, uh, uh, as an attorney, I think about what we call uh, human rights. The West is known so much with, you know, people lobbying for their rights. My right this, my right that, uh, you can't do this or do that. That's my right, you are violating my right. You know, people are always, you know, litigating and speaking out loud for their rights, but they forget or they are not conscious that connected to rights is, connected to a right is a duty these are corresponding. You can't have a right and then there is no duty. You must be conscious of the fact that there are duties too. And the West doesn't speak much. Nobody says, oh, well, that's my duty. You shouldn't be doing APCD because that's my duty. We are more about rights and leaving the other aspects that is intrinsically connected uh, to, to, to rights. And as I look at that, and I think about what happens in the 60s when it comes to this thing of, of rights, they started to be rising people who are called themselves liberals and whatnot. I'm not saying I have anything against them. Wherein there is a sudden uh, awakening of some sort to something that is old, really. Everybody knows human beings have got rights. You know, that's my property. You can't just come and do with it any, anyhow. But that sudden rise led, made people to move away from what you were talking about, the values. And they started questioning the very thing that has founded our communities, as I've said. They are questioning and wanting to, you know, to destroy the very thing that has given us the community, that the very thing that has given us some of these beautiful structures that, you know, have endured the test of time, you know because we come with a mindset of right, 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 and forgetting that we have, we have duty, as we have been saying repeatedly, the importance of taking responsibility. How can you speak about the right without the responsibility? How can you speak about the right in a sense that suggests that your right is endless, because where your right ends, the right of another begins. That duty is not brought into the discussion. The West is just so much about right, 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 and no duty. I don't know if that makes sense, Eric. Yeah, it does. And again, I think it just goes back to the differences. Other cultures are doing what makes sense. I mean, they're basically keeping it simple and focusing on a solution. And I think that's what's missing. So we will do all this legwork and all this running around just to get nowhere. It's just for the sake of it. It's for the sake of having a position and 
being upset about something. And in, in a large way, I feel like our society has devolved, de-evolved, if you will, into sort of a like the nature or behavior of like a spoiled child. You know, it's just, it's not serving anyone. And it, the, the values that are inherent in other cultures are missing here under these circumstances. So I think we can change it. I think it's gonna take individuals like ourselves choosing to do what we can when we can with what we've got. And I'd like to know with everything going on, you're launching the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, you're launching the, or you've launched the podcast, you're working on that, you've got your, your legal practice going on. What is the single greatest challenge you're currently facing in getting this all off the ground and, and growing into something larger? <laughs> Eric, you remind me of something that I did. I hope, <laughs> I think you being a good man, you did not hold crutches against me. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking of technology. <laughs> when I took a deep dive into reading wisdom literature, I suspended this whole thing of being on social media. In fact, I've never been so active in social media until I came to the US. Sometimes I'll go for six months without going into Facebook. The other ones I just never tried, like Instagram, Twitter, and whatnot. So I think that has been a challenge, technology. There was a time where I used to do photography. I was familiar with softwares and I would do around try editing and whatnot. But somehow that has been washed away because my focus was so much more spirituality, so much more learning out of the good books, reading. Whenever I am by myself, I make time. As a matter of fact, I thirst for knowledge and I will make time almost every day to read. Nothing about technology. So I felt like when I have to start podcasting, uh, boy, one of the things that have made me sweat, I think we have seen, I've asked you a lot of questions and, uh, about how to do this or do that. I'm trying to, sometimes I go to YouTube. That has been the biggest challenge because when you do podcasting, you must get out there. You must have social uh, uh, media presence. People must know about what you are doing so that they may follow. Uh, it's another argument whether the content is rich. I believe we, we have... I invite really great people who share rich content. So uh, in some, the challenge has been technology and just advertising what I'm doing and getting out there. That's has been one challenge for me because I come back from work tired uh, after reading the entire day, writing the entire day, and I come back, I still need to kick into gear into now switch my mind into podcasting, learning as we're going through the course Oh boy, I had some of my biggest stresses because I know I need to come back and try and figure one thing out. And I see people are going on. Some of the things that helped me was to see Eric doing, having done uh, one thing or maybe module two or so. And I'm like, oh, that's what they mean. I was still trying to figure it out. And then I would ask somebody, how do you get to do this? How do you, you know, all these, how do you, how do you, have given me a lot of stress as far as technology is concerned. I think that's what has been, that has caused me to move at a chameleonic pace, you know, and, 
Yeah, that has been the biggest challenge, technology. Yeah, and I think it's it's technology, but it's also because it's something new. And oftentimes people underestimate how challenging it can be to not just learn something new, but then execute on it. So it's like, it's almost like being a, a baby again. You know, you're, you're starting at zero with something. You have to learn it and then you have to learn how to then do it. So you have to learn to understand it and then you have to learn how to do it. And, um, but I think you're doing great, man. I think the technology and all this, it's been a challenge. It's going to continue to be a challenge for everyone forever it's it's evolving so quickly things are always changing but if that's your biggest challenge i think you're, you're doing pretty good <laughs> so you're doing all right um and you know it's it's good to see things coming to fruition i think one thing stuck out um with my interview with marwin recently which was new equals opportunity that's something that ended up coming up, you know, in the midst of our discussion and it kind of rang a bell. New equals opportunity. Whatever it is, whatever field, whatever is going on, it it always equates. It always equates. New equals opportunity. And this is this is opportunity for you to help more people. I mean, spread enlightenment and if nothing else, just show, hey, like you don't have to live in this box mentally. You don't have to stay in one place. You can learn new things. You can continue to grow and develop and, and it's okay to fail. You know, you can push into trying something new and if it doesn't work out, it's okay. It's not the end of the world, but I think by seeing other people do new things, it inspires others to do the same and their own interest and their own right, you know, to just go out there and do something. <laughs> so I think that's really powerful. Um, I've, I've enjoyed the few episodes of your podcast that I have listened to. I, I think I told you off camera, but I'll say it on here as well. It's like, you have an advantage in your podcast and having an accent. It's not a disadvantage. It sounds. I think it's a it sounds. No, it sounds more legit. It sounds more interesting, more official. You know, somebody might hear me and just be like, oh, "Okay, another guy." But you know, they hear it. They're like, "Whoa, hold on, who's this guy?" It's interesting, yeah. you know, to hear. At least that's that's how I found most people view it. It's just interesting to see um the same maybe the same content but if you're saying the same if we're both saying the same thing and someone hears me okay they may listen to it if someone hears you that's what i'm saying you've got an advantage there because <laughs> it sounds more sophisticated when you have an accent yeah so how does it is it the same coming from another native language is it your own native language is it the same when you hear english speakers or or maybe it doesn't have to be english but when you hear someone else with an accent how do you how do you perceive that oh well i 
uh, our world, or at least I know from Southern Africa, with the introduction of things such as TV and all that, and watching this Hollywood stuff, we grow up aspiring and being interested in uh, speaking the language as fluent as you uh, guys speak uh, the language. And we kind of like censor each other, which is kind of foolish, really. When somebody doesn't speak with that English accent, like from UK or American accent, you know, when you speak with that kind of accent, people, they feel like that's cool. They feel like you know English. And to me, it's a, when you grow up, you realize that's something for boys. That's foolish. We, we, we shouldn't be censoring each other. Other people, they stammer as they speak the language because it's the second language. They still have to go through the mind and translate what they are trying to say. And there is that kind of scolding <laughs> that you will, a person will receive because you are stammering. You seem not to be fluent with the language. So it's, it's, it's quite a negative uh, a report that I can give you on that. But at the same time, when somebody comes from West Africa, coming down to Southern Africa, they've got a different accent. Uh, you know, people from Nigeria and from the West, hey, you know, my brother and all that, the way they <laughs> pronounce things, it's, it becomes interesting to us from Southern Africa because of the accent that they come with. So to some degree, I would say, yeah, when you hear somebody with a different accent, you want to listen more. I've got a friend from Kenya. He, he intent with Boeing at, uh, just a couple of months ago, and he was saying he has discovered this advantage that people listen more because he's got accent, so he takes advantage of that. Because I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's my, that much I can say. Yeah, the, so keep definitely keep the accent. Don't <laughs> don't do language coaching to anything to get rid of it. It's it's an advantage for sure. And I think we're naturally I think we na we're naturally interested in other cultures, other accents, the, the minor distinctions, and we tend to be the most critical of ourselves. So we we can feel self conscious about these things or try end up mistakenly perceiving it as a negative but it's definitely an advantage um it's just it makes it makes you who you are so um embrace that definitely uh like i said it makes makes things more interesting people are listening sounds more official and um i wanted to say something adds eric yeah. uh, when you mentioned that when you had an interview with uh, mawin and the one thing that stuck out, uh, you know, takeaway was that new means opportunity. And uh, it made me think about a definition of like that I learned about, which came out in the 60s. I think it was L. Nightingale when he was defining like, you know, when you go to the dictionary, like is defined something like getting something without, you know, having any effort to it, you know. But for the first time, I learned from him this powerful definition that when preparedness meets opportunity, that's what luck is. And you made me think about that, that new means opportunity. So when you prepare yourself and you are 
in sync or you are moving with the moving times, there are a lot of opportunities that will come to you and opportunity becomes, I mean, luck just becomes that. Some people will say, oh, Eric is so lucky. He's now having a podcast. He's having a business. We all know that in a universe governed by law, there's no such thing as luck, really. It's all about <laughs> what you do privately. As Stephen yeah. Covey speaks about in his book, you know, public victory is private victory. There is so much that you go through privately in order to have the business that you have, in order to do podcasting. There's a lot of work. So when things happen, things are attracted to you. You know, James Allen once said that we don't get what we want. We get what we are. And that's the law. We attract our very own. Everything that happens to us is no chance. That's what we are. So I thought that I would bring up this interesting definition on, on luck, which has helped me understand a lot about life. Yeah, and I, you, you brought up Earl Nightingale, and he's, I really have to credit, you know, the beginning of my journey to Earl Nightingale. There's a book, um, he, to my knowledge, this is the first audio book ever made which is uh, The Strangest Secret, came out on record. Yeah, I know um, that one. And so, man, that one changed my life for sure. The Strangest Secret by Earl Nightingale. And that's where he talks about, you know, everything you just said. And so I take that, I run with it, and it these things synthesize in, your, in the back of your mind as you learn and grow and develop and, you know, carry out your own journey. And then you build on that. And that's what we're doing. They built on the teachings of others in the past. And we're all just in this, this uh, synthesis together. Everyone is interconnected and, and not just metaphorically, but energetically. We're all putting out energy and, and absorbing energy. Um, and it's just this light matrix basically that's what we're in we're just in this uh this crazy i don't know what what to make of it all i don't know how to explain it but you know i'm i'm a student of life if you want to call it that i'm always seeking truth i'm always seeking answers to help live a better life and and hopefully uh serve others more efficiently so i think that's what it's all about um what do you think for someone listening right now? We've covered a lot. It can be overwhelming for some. What would you like to leave people with here today? If they had to take away one thing from this conversation? I think that's a great question, Eric. It makes my mind to race and think about all these philosophical things that I think about that I've come to learn. You know, I think um, there's one thing that I always want to mention uh, to people, but let me mention just two things. You know, life is demanding a lot today. There's a lot of noise. We've spoken about that here. It's easy, there are so many voices. It's easy to be confused. It's easy to have a day, a week, and a month pass by and not realize what you've been doing. It's easy, you know, to be 
purposeless in the way you, you you do things. There's just a lot. You can have friends coming in and taking you, going out and playing, and uh, you don't say no because you you know people plan on you. If you don't have plans, people plan. You have to live under the plans of other people. So there's a lot happening today, uh, uh, Eric. That may you know that burdens the mind that make us you know, be attracted to ephemeral fences, things that are just not permanent. With all the difficult things that we are facing today with all these uh, lockdowns and all the bombardment with all kinds of education, I mean, information which may not really help us in the long run. Uh, I am reminded of words by uh, Henry Frederick. I think I should have the quotation here. He says, he who is silent is forgotten. He who does not advance falls back. He who stops is overwhelmed, outdistanced, crushed. He who ceases to grow becomes smaller. He who lives off gives up. The condition of standing still is the beginning of the end. I think we want to keep going we want to, if there is war, we need to keep on going, the war against the mind and the war against anything that we are trying to do, war against good. Uh, we need to do our best and be like people of the 6th century BC and the 18th, uh, yeah, the 6th century BC, people of the 19th century who, in my daily reading, they seem to have been great men who were men of contemplation, men of prayer, people who tend to within and awaken the powers within them because all power comes from within. I think we don't want to, you know, sit back. We don't want to allow to ourselves to be overwhelmed or distanced or crushed. We need to keep going. We need to keep studying, keep learning and uh, find, go out and find some of the, good books, there are a lot of good books out there. Follow great shows, YouTube, they're great. Thinkers there who are sharing their knowledge, who are sharing their voices. Follow that to motivate you, to keep you going. And one other thing is meditation is a very old thing that the ancients lived on. Today it's coming up again. And sometimes they want to refer to it as mindfulness. That's a very important thing to calm down the noise that we are all ex experiencing. And be humble and be ready to learn uh, always. Uh, you know, somebody once said that water does not flow upstream, water flows <laughs> downstream. Neither does milk. Milk in order to get the milk from the cow, you have to come down in order to get the milk. That's all humility. And the ancient put it in a form of a prayer and they would say, from the cowardice that shrinks from new truths, from the laziness that is content with half-truth, from the arrogance that thinks it has all the truth, or oh God of truth, deliver us. So humility, humility all the way. That was, I was hoping to bring some of that out of you because I know you got those, <laughs> those golden uh, nuggets, those golden <laughs> quotes in there, and that's your thing. That's your thing for sure. You, who was, who was the first quote by? It was, a um, because it's, it's incredible that you even 
I've never heard that quote, but I was just thinking last night in the shower, I was, you know, finishing up the shower and some thought just came into my mind that if you, if you stay still, you fall behind. That's literally the thought that I had. And then you say this quote, I was, that's why my mind was blown when you just said that. So who was it's, that quote? Uh, by what again? I will do, I will send it to you. It's Henry Frederick yeah. Emiel. So Henry, okay. that is H-E-N-R-I. And then Frederick is F-R-E-D-E-R-I-C. And then the surname is Emiel, which is M, I mean, excuse me, it's A-M-I-E-L. Emil, so Henry okay. Frederick Emil. Yeah, man, I'm telling you, you got, I'm glad I brought that out of you at the end. You got the, <laughs> you got the golden quotes, man. Yeah, You're just laying laying blessings on people right now. So to anyone listening, you just you heard some gold right there. To two of them at the end, so that's incredible, man. Do you do any writing yourself? Do you write your own? Uh, little quotes, stuff like that. Oh, and reflections. Oh, uh, Eric, let me say this one interesting thing. I think I saw you posting on social media uh, in our podcast group. You talked about the importance of recording your thoughts. And I'm like, yes. man, I always lose track of all the good things that I do sometimes because of the noise world. And here yep. is Eric reminding me of something that I used to do. <laughs> and I'm like, thank you, Eric. I didn't tell you. <laughs> thank you, Eric. Oh, it just man. reminded me that I need to write my thoughts again. In my phone, yes. whenever thoughts come, I, you know, I used to have a lot of those in my phone. So when you spoke about it, I was like, oh man, when last did I do this? When I concentrated and I thought of something great that comes into my mind and put it down. I'm like, thank you, Eric, for yeah, for serving me, you know, <laughs> somebody in the 1800s, I think it was Brian S. Hintley speaking about service. He said, service is the virtue that distinguishes the great of all time and by which they will be remembered. And it is the, he spoke about it, it, it places a mark of nobility upon its disciples. And it is the dividing line that separates the two great groups in the world. Those who lived and those who lived those who give and those who only consume. Service in any form is calmly and beautiful. You know, so thank you for reminding me about that one. Thank you, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, and I, I don't know how you pull the, I really don't know how you pull all these quotes off the top of your head. <laughs> That's amazing. So yeah, yeah I'm glad I could, uh, jog that that positive habit again with your mind that's what I'm saying I think I think you've got some of your own reflections and some of your own thoughts between every all the content that you've consumed and your intention that you're bringing I think you would have your own substantial thoughts realizations and reflections to write down I'd be interested in and in hearing some of that so do you I get, I do have a somewhat of a surprise question for you here at the end. So I'm a person of affirmations. I, I shared mine on uh, Facebook with the world. So I wanted to ask you, do you have a particular set 
of affirmations that you would like to share today? You know, not the whole thing, you share what you want, but is there any, any bit of affirmations or some, some mantra or something that you kind of live by or go back to um, that you might want to share with people? Oh, well, uh, let me begin with some of the, I don't, I'm trying to remember recently I've written a thought down uh, here. Uh, you know, you asked me about if I do write down some of my thoughts and I'm trying to recognize something that I've written in my phone. I'm just trying to page through quickly. I think there are a lot of things. I hope I'll be able to find the right one here. I oh, think written, I was talking about the plant and the seed. And I said the plant, seed, and nature. Oh, plant the seed and nurture it, and it will grow to a tree that will provide shade. I mean, that will provide shade, bear fruits, and supply medicine in the times of need. So that's something that came into my mind. And I also speak about some of the challenges that I've had in life, you know, midlife crisis and all that. And, and, and it took me back to Egypt, Africa, ancient Africa, when the Pharaoh had a dream that fascinated all the clever people way back then. And there was Joseph who came and interpreted the dream where he saw seven cows coming out of uh, the big uh, waters and those were really fat and healthy and then seven other ones they came and consumed on on the <clears throat> the the ones that were fat and was joseph said no you will have seven years of famine i mean of plenty and will be followed by seven years of famine which is nothing else but the law of rhythm you know the ebb and flow so i say in your seven years of plenty put in store something like a camel does you know so that when the pendulum swings you to your winter season and you feel empty, you will live in the memory of the plenty in the seven years of your famine, memory of sunshine. And that storage of inner light will provide enough sustenance until you return to plenty. If you have built a strong will, you will, you will will forward and not be destroyed by the season of famine but shall weather the storm. So that's a thought that I had recorded, thinking about some of the seven years of famine that we'll go through, speaking figuratively, and some of the seven years of um, plenty that we go through. You know, when the sun is out, you want to bask in the sun so that when it's down and it's winter season, it's cold, you can live in the memory of the beautiful sun and look forward to some uh, sunrise and the uh, sunshine again. I think that's what happens in our life as we go through ebb and flow and we exercise our will to overcome the ebbs and the flows of life. Now, I don't know if I made sense in what I was sharing. Yeah, definitely. And see, I knew you were trying to hide over there. I knew you had some good writings to share. <laughs> I knew you had some good writings. To I wasn't share, hiding. I forgot. <laughs> but I said just a little. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see the way you think and quote things, and I'm like, there's no way you haven't. You don't have your own thoughts on this this type of stuff. So. Oh yeah, I forgot something in what you you asked me about the mantra. 
Um, yeah, you and I know this, uh, any an affirmation, there's only one thing that I occasionally go back to, I've not been good with writing a lot of affirmations, there's only one that when I go through difficult times and I remember that I am a spiritual being having a human experience, not a human being having yeah. a spiritual experience, and I am connected to all these uh, great things of life. I am part of this great movement of life. And uh, my spiritual DNA traces me just one step back to God. I don't need to do some genealogy and researching my great, great grandparents. My spiritual DNA goes back there and I am part of, you know, the great whole. And there I start to remember and start thinking about spirituality and seeing that a lot of the things that are worrying me are just appearances. All power comes from within, as I've always said, this is power. I can go back inside and deal with this and has, I mean, have power come out of me and deal with the problem that I'm facing. So that's about the thing that I occasionally go back to about the spirituality. Yeah, that's one that's resonated with me as well. I first heard, um... A guy, his name is Ralph Smart, his channel, uh, you may have come across him on YouTube, Infinite Waters, but he's pretty popular now, but he was the first person I actually heard say that we're infinite beings having a human experience. I think that's definitely a powerful mantra or reminder to go back to, especially during hard times is, you know, we, we truly are more than our bodies. We're more than this one experience. And I can't prove it. I can't, um, you know, explain it all. But it definitely, um, as you go through life and you aim in a higher direction and you go through these struggles and you brought up, you know, midlife crisis and it's just such, such a part of life that you need these things to revert back to, to help establish an understanding and know that the sun will rise again tomorrow. You know, the winter is temporary. The, everything has an ebb and flow. Everything has that duality. And I don't know if it's true, but I heard somewhere else, uh, the night is darkest just before the dawn, you know, and that's- Oh yeah. That's how things, that's how things go. So, so midlife crisis. I mean, that's always fun, right? You want to, you want to go into that? <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> Tell us about that. Oh yeah. And then we'll wrap up after that. <clears throat> I want to give you a chance to go into that. And I know people can find strength in others experience. So um, midlife crisis. Uh, I consider myself to be still going through midlife crisis and I always believe from what I've heard from other people and from my own experiences that they are triggered by something that happens in your life that shakes you uh, you know just like I've said uh, that uh, the words from Malcolm X that in order to change society you must shake society in order for change this society, this society of limbs and, 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 and organs, you must shake that society, that is me, 
shake it in order to awaken to a higher level. Sometimes you find that we are laboring on the same level of consciousness or the same plane. Find that we have, we have fulfilled our purpose there and we need to project up to a higher level or be pushed over the cliff by life itself if we're not going to jump to a whole new world of some sort. So nature has got a way of just tilting you. And everybody that speaks about midlife crisis and have overcome that, they're introduced into a whole new world. They, are still, they may still be living in the same house, the same community, but they view it from a different perspective. So seven years ago, my mother passed away and I felt, you know, I still think about her every day. I think somehow I've been, you know, having some kind of downward spiraling. I used to have a lot of passion for motivation and all stuff like that. When I speak, I will feel the energy and I will create this context to those people in the room who are listening and they will feel it. You can see that everybody's concentration is at a high level. And over this past seven years, since my mother passed away, I feel like I've been, you know, there's been some degeneration of some sort, spiritually speaking, and feeling a feeling of emptiness, meaninglessness. Somebody once said that in order to be a philosopher, you must come to a point where you disbelieve everything. I went through that after she passed away where I felt like in just an empty vessel going to work. You know, I'm a, a Christian going to church, coming back home. I find myself revolving around those three places, not excited about going out, trying to attempt and create activities to have fun and all that. And I... One thing that kept me going within was the love for wisdom, always turning to the pages and reading. So that emptiness, disbelief of everything, I didn't believe I was alive. I would pinch myself trying to say, am I really alive? I didn't believe the other person was alive. It, it wasn't a conviction within. I felt like everything, just like Solomon in his wisdom, says meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. I came to that state where everything was just meaningless. If I were somebody will say death is coming, oh well, fine, so what? You know, you know, when you get to that level of meaninglessness. So over the years, I felt like I've been battling with that and been trying to understand the psychology of that. You know, others say that that thing can take up to 10 years, uh, you know, going through that experience. I had Gary in my platform yesterday. Uh, uh, by having an interview with him. And he was speaking about his experience too of midlife crisis and how he came out of it. And the thing that we ended up zeroing down to is meditation gratitude, which is something I do in the morning and before I go to bed, I had to go. This is not something new. I've done this before, but sometimes you lose track. So we ended up you know, saying this is the best practice that will help you suppress all uh, the anxieties. As the ancients have said that if you are depressed, you are living in the past. If you have anxieties, you are living in the future. If you are happy, you are living in the now. In order to live in the now, you have to, well, that's me now, you, I think that's why I use the word have, you know, you have to do mindfulness. We have to meditate. 
And in connection with the law of increase, anything that you praise, you pass gratitude for grows, it increases. Your business, Eric, when you keep on praising it every day, it grows. The orchard, it becomes so beautiful and lovely. If when you send the, you know, the energy of love, you know, things change in, in our natural world. I know people who, when they have uh, chickens, they keep chickens, natural chickens at home in Africa. There, there are times where people will be like, what's up with Eric? Chickens, they seem to love him. You know, you give him one, all of a sudden they multiply. People think that's chance, that's law. Some people, they know to naturally, even unaware, to connect energy of love to plants, to, to animals, and things respond accordingly. So gratitude and mindfulness, I think they are very important to calm us down in a very raucous and noisy way by kind of summing up <coughs> mathematician James, uh, not uh, uh, Bertrand Brussel, he was an English mathematician and philosopher. He spoke about that he wasn't born happy and he was constantly during adolescent, he was constantly at the verge of committing suicide. But something magical was happening within deep in the heart that kept him away from committing suicide. And that thing was desire to know more about mathematics. Even though he had suicide, uh, suicidal thoughts, but something deeper in the heart, the burning flame, as small as it was, that desire to know more about mathematics kept him going. But there's one thing that he, for a lesson that he, he mentioned, he says the reason he was so suicidal and depressed is because he had focused so much on, on his inadequacies, his sins, the negative things. And those things, you know, the law of focus says that anything you focus on grows. So when he focused on that, it kept on growing. And that's why his mind was clouded with darkness and he felt like he, uh, things were meaningless to him and he, he wanted to commit suicide. But when applying the law of focus properly and changing and shifting his focus to things outside him, things that were interesting, various trends or various uh, disciplines of knowledge, focusing on other people, and all that things change and he found himself more fulfilled because he was focusing on other people. I think that's one thing that we must learn is to apply the law of focus properly and focus on the right things, do mindfulness and the law lose ourselves to others in, in serving others. I think that to me, those are key things that uh, keep me going. Thank you. First of all, thank you for sharing that because that's, I know it's a difficult subject to talk about. And, you know, it's a very profound thing to experience that and to try to navigate through it. And it's nature reflects a lot of the patterns we experience within our own lives, you know, it can be chaotic, it can be violent, it can be tragic, but there's still something in there. There's still some balance. There's still some, and I'm referencing nature, but even, you know, the most chaotic fires bring fertilizer. They bring growth. 
they bring new life, you know, and I think in terms of the people we care about the most, you know, our parents, our grandparents, our, our close family and friends, and, and at least in terms of family, you know, these people, they're, they're, they may be gone, but not forgotten. And they may be gone from their physical form, but the reality is from a genetic standpoint, they're living through you. And that's a, that's a spiritual perspective as well. But I feel like we're, again, from a, from a literal genetic standpoint, we are the product of, and we are carrying, we are the vessel for all of our ancestors. We have a great responsibility to carry them forward to higher ground, to spread that seed, so to speak, that seed of life in the same way that the, the oak tree or the whatever plant or uh, tree you want to reference, you know, life has a way of populating itself, evolving in a positive direction and living through to a form of liberation. And I think it's our job to keep that perspective, that forward perspective. And uh, it's easier said than done. You know, it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to deal with and I'm definitely not an expert on it, but I try to, you know, see some positive or some light or some way in which we're, we're doing service to past and future generations, past, present and future. And we all get our shot to live in the present, however long or short that may be, but we have to live it, the gift of the present. How does the saying go? Um, the past is history, tomorrow's a mystery, but today is the present. That's why they call it, or today is a gift. That's why they call it the present, something like that. <laughs> But um, that's a great quote. <laughs> I've heard you mention yeah. that. I, I wish you can send me. <laughs> yeah, I will. I'll send that to you. <laughs> yeah. Today or yesterday is history. Tomorrow's a mystery. But today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. That's how. Yeah. Um, I, read, I just took a couple of notes down because you, I mean, you hit on some really profound points. So I've, I've wrote a couple of things down that popped into my mind. Um, and we talked about, you know, a midlife crisis in itself is like, in a way, it's a signal. It's a signal for change, change needed. It's, it's could be in response to something, you know, traumatizing or tragic or, you know, something very unfortunate, but it can also set in out of nowhere. Life can be perfect on paper, but despite anyone's given circumstances, I think a midlife crisis is something virtually everyone goes through. And there's, there's a great need to speak about this openly and honestly and, and for people to explore this because like so many things, it's, it's you know, it's something almost taboo, like, 
you're, you're not supposed to, we all have problems, but we pretend like, oh, I never have problems or I'm, I'm never sad. You know, you're supposed to go out there and fake it. I'm not with that. I mean, don't, don't go take your negative stuff out on other people, but be, it's okay to be real and, and live in that, live, live through it. You know, when we try to suppress these things, they continue to haunt us. But I think something that you talked about, you know, with Gary, as far as practicing that mindfulness and that gratitude and growing that, growing that energy, cultivating that is something that can help. And also finding a sense of purpose. It could be like the guy you referenced with, with math, just wanting to learn more about math. It could be coaching. It could be some form of service to the world, service to others, I think brings us back from those depths, you know, from those dark places where we feel like, what does anything even matter? Because I've been there. I've been extremely depressed. I've been, you know, thinking like, what am I, what is the point in any of this? Why am I even here? And that's, that's us getting as Alan Watts would say, so caught up in the game <laughs> that we forget that we are God. I'm going to unmute you. I think you got muted there. There we go. Oh, yeah. You get so caught up in the game that you forget it's a game. This is, uh, this is not the extent of all reality. And this is what all the ancient teachings explain to us. And I think part of the the, the unpleasantness and the tragedy of death is our uncertainty surrounding it. We, we feel so uncertain and so afraid of dying. Um, and I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's an inevitability. And I think with understanding comes the enlightenment to see things in the right perspective. And again, I don't, I'm not an expert on this, but I'm seeking answers on this myself because it's something, it's the biggest part of life. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's the duality of life. And I would love to, to explore this topic some more and learn more about it myself. I've got um, one book that I, that I still getting into, but the Tibetan book of the dead Mm -hmm. And that kind of outlines um, this Tibetan philosophy on life and death and the, I guess, the Buddhist perspective on all this, all these things. So it's, it's highly regarded as a, a very enlightening book. Again, I'm not all the way through it, I'm just getting started on it. But um, that's one that, I, that I've come across in research. But I'll reference Alan Watts again, you know because you, you, you said part of this, I heard part of this when you were speaking and it's, uh, he puts it like this. It's something like to the, um, to, the, to the regular person, the mountains are just mountains, but to the student, you know, to the, to the student, if you will, the mountains are no longer mountains. To the master, the mountains are once again mountains, you know? So the mountains are once more mountains. So you, when you know nothing, uh, it's just mountains. When you're, 
when you're a student of the universe, you know, and you're, you're in your practice, the mountains are no longer mountains. They're, you know, it's something more abstract, profound. It's then you just come full circle. Once yeah. you, <laughs> and that's uh, that's interesting quote. Yeah, I see. I, I'm, I'm not getting the quote exactly right, but it's something along those lines. And it's just kind of like, you know, they, people joke, we start out in diapers and we finish in diapers. <laughs> yeah, <clean>. You know, we, <laughs> it's the circle of life. We, we always come back yeah. to whether it's spiritually or <laughs> mentally or even physically, we come back to this state of infancy. And that's mm. just, just, there's some renewal that takes place in cycles as we spiral we may go down for a little bit but there's there's peaks and valleys and i mm -hmm. think uh, in some sense we're kind of spiraling upwards towards some higher level of evolution and yeah the hematics the hematics said it's a returning home and then from my christian background that's really returning home in yeah. order for you to be really matured and to really get high up there you must go down yeah before uh, before going up and then you start going up when we are going through enlightenment we are going through these successive stages layers of enlightenment and we're going up and it's a returning home where we have come from uh, before we we came down here so i agree yeah. with you on that one it's like uh just a, it's like the formation of diamonds you know you can't just throw the coal up, you know you can't just <laughs> snatch the coal up and make it into a diamond it has to compress it has to it has to form under pressure over time um but that's that's it and you know i came across a video the other day is a short clip from uh jocko podcast jocko willink and mm. they were talking about something um they were talking about a particular book I don't have it in front of me, but um, I'll send it to you. But in this book, it's basically the, the account of um, from a soldier in World War II and some of the things that he describes. And this is one where, you know, he passed away. Um, he was killed in combat, um, but they found his writings and made a book out of it. And now, you know, it's it's been published um, quite quite some time ago. But it's uh, the stuff in that book. And again, I haven't read it. I just came across this. But the clips uh, that they they shared within that were putting things into perspective. That's what the video was about. You know, sometimes through our own suffering, we get stuck in this negative feedback loop where we're just essentially reliving it in our minds all the time. And your mind doesn't know the difference between thinking something, you know, and, and actually experiencing it. It's all the same to your mind. If you think about something terrible, you will have a, a visceral response within your body. You know, it's just how we work. And that's the power of vision. That's the power of focus and you know some of the things we talked about mindfulness but in this they were talking about at the end they're just like remind me to never 
complain again about anything you know and I'm, i was cracking up watching it i'm like it is so true and they shared yeah. some of their stories like how he was complaining about uh you know the cable guy being 15 minutes late or, the, or being frustrated about it in his own mind when you read something like that when you shift your perspective out of your life out of your echo chamber and you look around and you you just see how much worse it could be uh, the mm. fact that we have a home and a bed and all these all these comforts and all these resources that we take for granted it we end up holding ourselves back. So the video in short was about the importance of shifting our perspective. And the easiest way to do that, I think, is to look at other people's experience or look at what things used to be or what they could be. And it kind of gives you the power to control your life right now. You know, another, and this is, my last reference here, but uh, Joe Dispenza, he's uh, he's into um, neuroscience, psychology, positive psychology, and all this stuff. He's it's a pretty big name now, but I was following him really before he was even uh, well known. And some of the things he talks about in terms of de- depression, uh, programming new behavior, and and really tapping into the mind is some powerful stuff. So he's got some great videos out there, but it's just goes back to shifting perspective. And I think you said it best. Uh, sometimes you have to shake, shake it before you can change it. Right. So yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what shakes your mind out of this rut. You know, you kind of wake up, you open your eyes, you see, wait a minute, I've just been staring at the ground. You know, that's been my perspective. And your experience uh, flows through your perspective. We can all watch the same thing, but we all share different perspectives. So your experience is going to differ from mine. But sometimes shaking ourselves in that way, shifting that perspective allows us to look up again, see that the sun is shining, see that the sky is, is blue and, you know, nature is still here for us opportunity is still upon us and we can really take a take a position to do something better not just for ourselves but for others so i'm a i'm a huge proponent of just shifting perspective and that's that's helped me out of some of the the worst times when i was just wondering why am i why am i even waking up today why am i even why? Why am I struggling on? Why am I suffering through this? And that's that for me has been the most powerful tool. So seems like uh, we all have to ask ourselves the why first before we can have some serious change in our lives. If you never, I think it's Socrates, if not Aristotle, who spoke about the, an unexamined life. An unexamined life is not a life worth living. So when we ask the question, the why, that's examination right there. And uh, uh, obedience to uh, the greatest teaching that I've ever found in the ancient world, even from the greatest teacher of all times, 
seek you shall find knock and it shall be open or knock and the door to the temple of knowledge shall get open to you you know that's natural law when we seek we find when we knock the door is open to us when we ask we receive that's natural law it doesn't matter who you are where you are when you ask the wise there's no way you're not going to get responses from the, the the world we live in that's absolutely right man but i love what you're doing i love the uh the philosophical nature and the quotes you're able to just bring up and you have your own you have your own thoughts and reflections that you can weave into this and i see that in our conversation today um but i want to give an opportunity you know for if you have anything else to add before we sign off here anything else you want to say before we go to the listeners Well, this has been a great experience, Eric. I have enjoyed being in your platform. Uh, I think this is my second time I've been interviewed before. <laughs> And okay. this has been really exciting. Sometimes you you are afraid to venture uh, for some reason. And some of the fears that we have are just made up in the yeah. mind. Uh, and and then this fear is that the day once we have taken the steps and we have done it anyways you discover that this was all made up in your mind it's just all conditioning uh, uh, who is this uh, american uh, civil rights movement leader i think is martin luther king he says take the first step in faith you don't have to see the whole staircase just take the first step So it has helped to take that first step and you know say Eric would you want to help me in your in a platform in your show uh, you know it was all fear I was afraid of like oh maybe you will say no and then some other people that have asked and it's just been an exciting you know venture and Stephen Elkov says feel the fear and do it anyways you don't have to make have fear make decision for you you make them so fear has been a kind of part of my life but when i remember these great thinkers it makes me act so that's one thing that i would like to conclude with and say thank you for having me in the platform and just to be in this energy that we are in where we can exchange anybody listening i'm sure we have we have left some few nuggets there some few things they are worth thinking about and that may be of value to the listener out there Uh, we come from different worlds you are from the west i'm out there in africa although now i'm uh, currently in the us but um, you know the intelligence wisdom knowledge is all even spread 100% all over the universe wherever you stand you can still learn and uh, synthesize things as we have said and i'm, I'm excited uh, and i'm happy that i i was able to come and be in a platform and uh, hope i have said sound things you know sometimes you worry about <laughs> that a lot of people are listening and that worry itself becomes the problem because you tend to shrink and uh, <laughs> and not be yourself whereas uh, you know you've got to be who you are and not try to be a second class citizen or something else yeah so i'm happy to 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 have come and be part of this great movement with your podcast and we have recorded so many and i'm sure and i'm certain that 
you are going far with this and blessing other people's lives. Thank you so much, Eric. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure having you on. I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down and, and have this conversation. And I think I think it will change people. I know it will change people's lives. Even if it's just one person, that's enough for me. I mean, that's you've dropped some really incredible philosophical quotes and, and thoughts and things like that, that people can definitely take and, and run with that. And this is, these are the things right here that inspired me on my journey to help pull me out of where I was and really get to a better place. So I look forward to uh, hearing a little more of your own personal reflections, your own writings. I know you're gonna you're gonna end up writing a book or doing an audio book or something one of these days, and um, man, I'd I'd like to do the same. I I resonate with that about you because I in that sense we have a lot in common. We think a lot in the same way in terms of the the philosophical things, and uh, you know I've got I I pulled it out the other day, but I've got a stack of notes here i guess i'll pull it out again yeah i this want to a, see that <laughs> this is a, a fireproof oh, bag right here oh boy that's so crazy <laughs> i've got all my notes over all basically the last 10 years or so wow that's motivating <laughs> but it's stuff that this is what it took this is what it took to get me out of where I was and into a position where I felt, well, where, where I was getting any kind of mental clarity and, and making any progress within myself. So these are, these are just thoughts and sorting my own head out. And, you know, we look at some of the greatest writings of all time and they weren't books. A lot of these weren't books, they were personal journals, they were, you know, personal um, writings that people just use to, to navigate their own life. And we come across some of this and it's, it's gold, you know, it's gold. And I'm not speaking about my own stuff, I'm, I'm speaking historically, you know, that's where the most value comes from. And someone writing to themselves to help navigate their own life. So again, I see that in you. I forget uh, which culture, it's probably multiple cultures. I know it's in uh, ancient African culture, but it's also in um, ancient uh, Chinese culture, Indian. Um, you know, they have a practice of recognizing the God within one another that we're all God and yeah. God is us. And mm -hmm. I think that's, that's where the powerful stuff takes place is recognizing me, recognizing the God within you and vice versa. And yeah, me recognizing the God in you. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we help each other grow and actualize through whatever this process is um, into something greater. And that's, that carries and echoes through society and all of time. So that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you found value in this. Um, you know the mantra, 
You have the power. You are the solution. Resist, defy, object. Take care of your world.